All we do is decide to control the things we can, which is what do I want ultimately and what's one thing that I can do to start to move in that direction. Hello everybody and welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Tim Schur. Tim is an expert on human behavior and communication with over 10,000 coaching sessions under his belt. He helps company presidents, CEOs, VPs, and many other workforce leaders to find their blind spots and redirect their unconscious habits. His formulas are influencing franchises and businesses from around the world. Tim has also written several books. One of his most popular is titled, Get Out of Your Way. He is a multi-winning speaker who provides keynotes nationally and abroad. In this episode, we discuss inner peace, breaking our own barriers, self-awareness, rewriting subconscious narratives, and how to influence others. This episode was exceptional and impactful to me. We took many deep dives into these concepts and a lot of information was shared and shared in depth as well. So I'm very excited for you to hear this, as Tim is too, uh, and I hope you enjoy as much as we both did. Hello everybody and welcome back to Mentors. Today we have on Tim Sher. Tim, thank you so much for being on. Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Ava. As am I. You have a giant track record and so many things to cover in so little amount of time. But where I always want to start with my guests is your origin story. You can go as far back as you want to, but how did you get to where you are today? So it started out when I was little. Everybody usually has one of those background stories, <laughs> like you said, an origin story. So um, I think I'll start. I was 12 years old. I was at home. Uh, I lived in Northwest Indiana. My dad worked at U.S. Steel as an electrician. And uh, my mom was at the grocery store and the telephone rang and I answered it. I was like, hello. And this woman says, honey, where's your mom? There's been an accident. So my dad was uh, working on a great big electrical box at the mill. And I don't know if you've ever been to a steel mill before, but it looks like it's hell. I mean, it's really scary and dangerous and dirty and dark. And, and, uh, and so he was in there working on one of these big electrical boxes and it didn't get tagged right. So while he was in there with the screwdriver and his buddy Bill was there with the flashlight, somebody turned that electrical box on and it exploded and just caught them both on fire. It was really horrible. And I didn't see my dad for a couple of months as he was trying to survive at the uh, Loyola burn unit. And so um, I have all these memories of going to visit him and the screaming and, and the healing process and everything that uh, inside, even though my dad made it, the good news is he made it, he survived, even though he has these scars on the outside, I ended up having these scars on the inside. Mm -hmm. My nervous system had a real trauma. And from that, I was just, I was a nervous kid anyway, but I just felt like, Inside, I was waiting for the next bad thing to happen at any moment. And in my head, I was no longer playing life to win. I was playing not to lose. And when you play not to lose, mm -hmm. even when you win, you feel like you're losing. So I had all kinds of anxiety and worry and fear, always thinking that the, the worst thing was going to happen. And then to try to deal with that, I tried to get people to like me. So I was the class clown or I would do stupid stuff or when I was older, I got a credit card and I felt compelled to buy everybody everything because maybe then you would like me and then I would be good enough and then maybe I could like myself. And so it really came from this fear that I wasn't good enough. And so I ended up going to school for psychology to try to figure me out, try to figure out how to have inner peace. And then I ended up learning all these other tools like hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming and really all these these tools and strategies that teach us how to love ourselves, how to feel peaceful inside and how to train our brain to feel uh, worthy and successful. And so it's been 30 years now 
And uh, I've been at it a long time and I've learned some pretty incredible tools. And so all the books, the TV shows, the TED Talks, all the stuff that I've done is just a way for me to share with others like you them, and everyone that listens to your podcast what I've learned after this three decade journey of going from pain to peace. And so I'm excited to share some of these tools and insights with you right now. Thank you. That's one heck of a uh, background story. Oh my goodness. I didn't, I had no perceived knowledge of that whatsoever. That was, that sounded incredible. Where did that, where did that start for you? Um, coming to inner peace? Cause last week I was trying to talk to two girls about inner peace and yeah. they just didn't understand the concept and that, you know, they, cause they are, they too lived in a lot of fear. Yes. So I call it inner pieces, which is going to be the title of the book that I write eventually when I get to it. I I really believe we have inner pieces, right? We have a piece of it, uh, that joy, that calm, that happiness. When you're really laughing, you're experiencing inner peace, right? A a piece of it. So it's not something that you have all the time. I think that from um, researching and hearing stories from you know, from Buddhist monks or people that are in Zen or people that are meditating and, you know, or the Dalai Lama, they're always talking about having this inner peace, this enlightenment. And enlightenment really is misunderstood. We think that having that inner peace means that you walk around and everything's happy and everything's peaceful. That is not the case. You have the same amount of pain. You have the same amount of struggle inside. It's just that you're not creating the suffering that goes along with it. So let me explain that. There's pain. Human beings are going to experience pain, physical pain, emotional pain, the pain of loss, the pain of suffering. It's just part of being immortal or or part of being mortal, I should say. (laughs) Right. Yeah. See, I've been watching these superhero movies all week. (laughs) So it's the part of it's part of us that's human. Right. So you're going to have pain. But suffering, human suffering is often optional. Right. So much of the suffering that we have is self-imposed. Now, often when we're little, if we experience suffering, it's not always our own doing. It's because of the things that we're experiencing. But we keep it alive. And we often don't realize that we keep it alive. We end up being our own uh, worst critic. We end, you know, when I was little, I got bullied a lot. So when I got older and stronger, I didn't get picked on anymore, but I became the bully. And I uh, bullied myself, not others. And I kept myself down. I kept myself scared. I kept myself feeling like I wasn't enough. And so when you hear these stories about people having inner peace that lived in a cave for 30 years, well, I want you to see if they have the same kind of inner peace all the time if they're married with three kids, <laughs> you know, living in the suburbs or living in the city. Let's see how zen you are then, right? And so I think that inner peace is really learning how to take the, the worrisome or upsetting or scary, fearful thoughts that pop into our mind and redirect them in a way that allows us to feel like no matter what's going on in the moment, I love myself, I accept myself, and I am okay. Yeah, well, the whole concept is very similar to the eye of the storm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you have this inner peace around the storm, everything, th- there is contentness to be found. Yes. Uh, you know, but you know, but most of the time, as you explained before, a little bit beforehand, a lot of people have a really bad time with um, seeing that in themselves, you know, building up barriers against that. You know, a lot of people say, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, and we have these self made you know we have these self-made barriers how do you how do you break these down how do you you know even as another person because internally it's one way to do it but also externally like if i see a friend and they're just saying oh i can't do it ava i can't do it ava Mm -hmm. how do you also coax them into being their best self yeah so that's excellent um the answer to that is uh 
you know, you be a role model for them, mm. right? I mean, step one is you subscribe to your podcast, right? That's what step <laughs> one is because it's really difficult to do this on your own. You don't have any feed outside feedback. All you have is your story you're telling yourself and the experiences in your mind that back up your story. You don't know what I've been through, right? You don't know what kind of mother or father I have. You don't know how my brothers are. We have these experiences. You don't know how, how the other girls at school are. You don't. So we have all these, this proof, right? To support this belief that I have. And remember, it's, it's not the experience that you go through. It's the belief that comes from it. That belief is what lifts us up or holds us down. So when my dad got hurt, I had this belief that I'm unsafe, that something bad could happen at any time and I have no control over it. If I could go back, which I have, you know, in my mind, I've gone back and rescued that little boy instead of him feeling scared and me being angry at him for being scared all the time. I went in and loved him and helped him feel safe. I kind of went in and rescued him, so to speak. And I've helped many, many people rescue their, their inner little girl or little boy and help them feel safe. And then we upgrade the belief. So instead of feeling like I'm not safe, you start to say, I am safe. Or what can I do right now to move, move towards a feeling of safety? So in order to do this, we need each other. Human beings are interrelational. We have to have each other. Now, when I was younger, I didn't, I didn't have anybody that I knew to go to I probably did, but I just didn't know. And so I went to the library and I would get um, audio tapes, right? Cassette <laughs> tapes, because I'm older. And so I would go and get these cassette tapes, put them in my Walkman, put my headphones on and walk. And I listened to hundreds of hours of podcast or of, of those audio tapes. And then they were CDs and now they're MP3s and now podcasts. And so, uh, so listening to your podcast, hanging around other people that are saying what's possible, right? Impossible if you underline... In the first two letters of impossible, it becomes I'm possible. And so it's just a, a way of looking at it differently instead of fighting so hard to keep yourself down, get around people who will give you a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. Does that, does that create a sense of self-awareness? Because when you were talking about rescuing a little boy, it sounded like you have, have to have an immense self-awareness or, or at least some, I guess you can say some education on uh, your subconscious or your unconscious behavior. How do you cultivate self-awareness? Is it by experience or is it by, you know, having to look deep within yourself? Both. Great questions, by the way. It's both. So self-awareness is something that evolves over time. So I'd love to say that I had all this awareness, you know, all at once, but I didn't, you know, so I'm going to be 49 years old this year. It's taken me that long to be able to have this kind of awareness where I can just say these things. So the fastest answer is you hang around other people who have that self-awareness and you kind of borrow it from them at ah, first, yeah. right? So you're borrowing their awareness, their perspective, their way of, hey, have you ever thought of it this way? Have you ever thought of it this way? What would happen if, if you looked at it this way, right? So usually you have other people that are in your life that are giving you that kind of um, different way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah. And all you have to do is be brave enough to be open to another way of looking at things. You've probably heard that story before um, of the five blind people that are standing around an elephant trying to figure out what an elephant is. Yes, right? yes. So they all have a piece of the elephant thinking this is the truth, but they only had a piece of that elephant, right? One had the, the, the trunk, one had the, the uh, leg of the elephant, the other had the tail. They all feel different, so they all think it's something different because <laughs> they don't have the whole truth of what it was. And so in our minds, even when we think back to a memory of something that happened, 
we're not remembering it completely accurately the way that it happened because our mind doesn't record things that way. So it usually it doesn't record it like a like a computer would record this um, program. And so a lot of times, if there's pieces that um, that it didn't get or uh, gaps in the in the movie of our mind, it fills it in. It's called confabulation. It kind of makes it up, right? It makes it up. And so I heard um, a neurologist say one time that um, when you look forward, it all looks like one complete picture in front of you, right? But actually, because we have our nose in front of us and our eyes are split, there's a small gap that we don't visually see. <laughs> and so our brain <laughs> fills it in. Plus, yeah. you know, when information comes in, it comes into our brain and it's upside down. And then we structure it so it looks right side up. So our brain is constantly making these changes and filling in the blanks and doing stuff to our perception that we're not even aware of. It all happens unconsciously. And so if our brain is always naturally doing that, then it's also doing it with the stories you have. Here's another, um, you know, the stories you have about your past. Here's another thing. You'll have two siblings that one will be saying, oh, remember that one time at Christmas when mom did this? And then the other sibling says, that's not how that happened. That didn't go that way. <laughs> Even though they were there, right, in the same situation. They took it in and analyzed it differently because we're always interpreting situations. And so it's not what happens, it's how we interpret it. It's what goes into our mind and then based on our beliefs, our attitude, our life experiences, it kind of goes through these mental filters in our brain. And then it's like, you know, all right, this is the meaning that I'm getting from this situation. And so what we're doing is we're walking around giving meaning to, the, to situations and a lot of times that meaning is not accurate. And so uh, if you recognize that a lot of the stories you might be telling yourself are just interpretations of the truth, then it gives you the freedom to be able to say, well, what if I want to interpret things in a new way now? Yes. Because, you know, I've come across people like this as well, where everything, I guess you, you want to consider lenses, everything's through a pessimistic lens. And so I remember, I always remember this in middle school, you know, my friend, she was upset, she was complaining about things. And of course, this is middle school and it's something petty. And I was, I was saying, hey, it's not that, you know, it's not that bad. It could be so much worse. So this is a really good thing. She goes, well, it could be better. You know, I, you know, things could be like this, things could be that, but there aren't. So how do you rewrite that narrative in yourself? Because I know it's a huge subconscious effort because I don't think we notice that we do it. So how yeah. does one be, how does one realize that they're doing this to themselves and then go back and write those narratives? So great question. Okay, so let's think about how our brain processes information, okay? So um, in general, we're gonna make this real broad. In general, there are um, four personality styles okay so let's say the two that you're talking about are the optimist and the troubleshooter okay mm -hmm. the optimist is always looking for a solution always looking for something positive that we can move towards a troubleshooter is um the same it's just that they're looking for problems to solve they're not looking for solutions they're looking for problems to solve all right and so they look at it differently so an optimist will say um hey we're on a boat and it's sinking, but we're gonna make it. We're gonna be okay. We can patch that hole. We can put the life preservers on, and and we can get to safety. The pessimist or the um, the troubleshooter is in there going, well, that's true. We might be able to make it, but you're not patching that hole right, and this boat is gonna sink faster than you might think. And if we don't get out of here soon, we're all going to die. Okay, so so the approach is the same. They're trying to find a way out, but one looks for solutions and one looks for problems, and so. 
What happens though is the troubleshooters think that optimists are dreamers, okay? Mm. And a dreamer is someone who has their heads in the cloud, but they're not rooted in reality. Their feet aren't on the ground. So a dreamer would be on the sinking boat going, well, that's okay. We can swim with the dolphins. We can have sushi. <laughs> It'd be great exercise, right? So they're not really thinking, I'm, you know, that we could die. Okay? <laughs> and so the troubleshooters are like, your head's in the cloud. You're always this mis, mis positive, but you're not dealing in reality. Okay. And so, and then on the flip side of that, a lot of times optimists look as, at troubleshooters as pessimists. Okay. Yeah. Now here's the difference with the pessimist. A pessimist would be sitting on the boat going, you know, not looking for um, ways to solve the problem. All they're doing is pointing out the problem and that's it. So they're like, we're all going to die. I hate all you. I don't know why I got on this boat to begin with. And they would just sit there. <laughs> okay. So one of the ways to influence people if they have more of a troubleshooting or pessimistic mindset is to agree with them, right? Mm -hmm. Figure out where you can support them because at the end of the day, the reason why we have these negative thoughts, and they're not negative, that's just a label that we use, okay? They're just thoughts. But the reason why we think they're negative thoughts is because um, your brain is always trying to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. And so it will constantly find all kinds of bad things that could happen not as a way to scare you, but as a way to prepare you. But if we don't recognize that, then we end up just being pessimists. We just end up being scared and frustrated all the time. A troubleshooter will say, you know what, it is bad, and but this is the problem that I need to solve, and what's one thing I can do to start moving towards that solution? And that's what you would do with your friend. Every time you say, well, it's not so bad, or it could be worse, she's feeling like you were not validating her. Um. Like you are not appreciating where she was coming from, in other words, you're telling her she's wrong. That's what they're experiencing. And that's why a lot of times it will feel like this struggle. So instead of fighting, what you do is you get on their side first. You meet them where they're at, then you take them where you wanna go, okay? Now here's how you would do that. You would say, yeah, it does suck that those things are happening. And you're right, this and this and this, that all happens, that's a bummer. I hate that, I wish it wasn't happening. It's so unfair, it's not right. Because that's what they're thinking, they're like, I know, finally, right? Because now they're feeling loved. And my acronym for love, L-U-V, stands for listened to, understood, and validated. Wow. We just want to feel validated, okay? Once they feel validated, then you ask them, well, how do you want it to be? You know, how do you ultimately want this to work out? And then what's one thing that you can do to start moving in that direction? Because you can't control what the other people are doing. You can't control how the teachers are gonna be. You can't control the weather. So we don't try to control things we can't control. All we do is decide to control the things we can, which is what do I want ultimately and what's one thing that I can do to start to move in that direction. And that is how you start to get someone to be open to another possibility. Wow. You just took me on a huge journey. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, that's, such a, that's such a great influencing tactic. And I've seen that subtly through, you know, some like of teachers I've watched or, you know, you know, you, you can even come across like TV shows. I've been watching this one guy dissect Game of Thrones. I don't even watch Game of Thrones, uh -huh. but he goes, but he goes through all these tactics of like, here's this character and this is what they do to get what they want so that they can quote unquote survive. Yeah. You know, and you know, in the business world, it's, I, I, you know, I can't say much because I'm a 17 year old and I'm not in the business world, but I've heard how rough it can be, especially when it comes to leaders uh, and their employees. Mm -hmm. How does a leader become that in, you know, that influence 
uh, and that motivation uh, for their for their team. So that's an awesome question. So again, it's the same stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have the desire to want to grow. Uh, as they say, companies don't grow, people do. The more you empower your people, the more you trust in them, the more you really listen to them, the more you create uh, an environment of psychological safety where people can share ideas and and that without the fear that they're going to ha- be met with sarcasm or someone's going to steal their ideas or they're going to get in trouble. You know, it really depends on the leader. There's all kinds of leadership styles out there. The old style of leadership was shut up and do what I tell you or get mm-hmm. out. Exactly. But things are changing now. Because a lot of times um, the millennials started and now Generation Z, as they're like, okay, good, I am out. <laughs> you know, there's so much turnover or what we call ghosting where HR directors used to, you know, have a line of people trying to get hired. And now they're like, people aren't even showing up for the interview, right? So the, yeah. the thing, the times have changed. And so leaders are realizing that that hard knuckle approach um, isn't going to cut it anymore. You have to be thoughtful. You have to be caring. Right. And so I think that just being respectful, developing your own self-awareness, I do a big program called leadership and self-deception and it's just getting rid of our blind spots and common blind spots are, um, uh, you know, poor communication, assuming, you know, what other people are thinking or what they're going to do. And, uh, instead of actually having that connection with them, having open conversations, being respectful of other people's viewpoints, instead of being frustrated or, or acting like they are wrong. Right. And so, um, you know, it all starts with self-awareness and then you upgrade your beliefs and then you start to learn how to communicate in a more respectful way. So you're more transformational instead of transactional. You're more about the person in front of you instead of just getting things checked off the list. And then it's about creating an environment around you where people feel um, cared for and they realize that what they're doing, their job matters. It makes a difference. And you show them how what they're doing you know, um, the outcome from that, how people's lives are improved or how you're improving, you know, whatever it is your company does, how you're trying to make the world a better place. So if it's just all about the profits and the money, then, um, you know, bad things happen. And uh, we have lots of proof of that. And a lot of people are being held accountable now more than ever before. Well, I mean, every everything is a window now. Nothing is behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So if you, so if, you know, you're a boss and you're bad to your employees, and you, even though if they're not doing the work, the employee can be like, "Hey, you don't treat me right," and yeah. then it's out there for the world, and you know, your company will go down in value. Yeah. But a lot of what you said, I feel like, really correlates to empathy. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I know it's so difficult sometimes, especially, especially right now. Uh, uh, to to see other people's viewpoints and to understand where they're coming from, yeah. um, especially at such a young age. I love high, like high school is fun and great, but it's also and I feel like you know, the adult world can be like this too, too sometimes. We're very self centered. We're very like the world the world revolves around me. I have my own experiences, and you don't you know like what we talked about before. You don't understand. So well, guess what, Ava? All the Ava, all those um, <laughs> all those middle schoolers and high schoolers just grow up, you know like physically, but they don't grow up mentally a lot of times. Yeah, right? how do you so, develop the maturity? Yeah, and so, you know, kids that are having temper tantrums often just grow up and they're tall kids having the same temper tantrums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it once or twice. How do we, yeah. but how do we develop, because I feel like they go hand in hand, that maturity and that empathy. Yeah, so excellent questions. All right, so how do you develop emotional um maturity and empathy. So the first step is just having the desire 
to want to, right? Yeah. Just having the desire to have empathy and to really understand what it means. Because a lot of times when people say you got to have empathy or compassion, what they think is what? So, you know, they can do whatever they want and get away with it. And I'm just supposed to be nice to them. And it's like, no. Okay. So the first thing we got to do is understand what compassion and empathy really is, right? And compassion is having a sense of love and peace for yourself, a sense of, of acceptance of who you are. Um, when you even when you make mistakes, even with the flaws that we all have, that we don't have to be perfect, that we're good enough. See, the biggest fears that we have, I've done tens of thousands of individual private coaching sessions. And on, in all that time, it's always the same two fears. The biggest one is I'm not good enough. And because I'm not good enough, I won't be loved. And so if I'm not going to be loved or I'm not going to feel good enough, what do I need to do in order to get that love? What do I need to do in order to survive in this world and feel like I matter? And so people respond in all kinds of ways, right? So some people will be the achiever and they're always trying to make things happen. Some people will be the, the class clown, always trying to make everything funny. Some people will be the uh, one who's doing all the drugs, right? Or being promiscuous or getting in fights or the all-star jock, right? How do we get that acceptance? Some people will be the one that's always getting in trouble. And they get their attention in that negative way because I'd rather get some attention than be ignored, right? And, and so we start to act out. And so as we get older, the more we learn to love and accept ourselves, the more we will be able to be that for others. So it all starts by not trying to be more kind to others. It really starts with trying to be more kind and loving to yourself. And again, that journey is the same way. You got to usually find someone who believes in you for you to start believing in yourself. You can do it through videos, through podcasts. I love how you said the world, everything's through windows now. And that means that you have access, right? I'm so excited about the people who are going to listen to this podcast because you and I are having this heart-to-heart, mind-to-mind conversation, and this is how it begins. So many people right now, this is step one for looking at things differently because you're hearing it different than you might have ever heard it before. And it sounds so accurate, right, that... (laughs) Maybe it's true because I really believe the truth is simple. And so, yes. so having compassion for others means you start by being more compassionate of yourself. And then you start to look at others and say, hey, they have the same worries, the same fears, the same you know, doubts, and they also have the same hopes and dreams. You know, people have gone around the world, talked to all kinds of people from all kinds of cultures, um, different backgrounds. And at the end of the day, we're all human. We want to feel love. We want to be a part of the group. And we also were afraid of pain. We're afraid of getting hurt. We're afraid of, of loss. And so by developing that, um, that emotional muscle inside of you, you will be able to then share it with those around you. And emotional master, or, uh, maturity is really just being able to handle um, when things don't go your way and be more cool about it, be more relaxed about it. Maturity, as one of my coaches used to say, is um, being able to to be an adult even when you're frustrated, right? And- oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough sometimes. And, you know, I love... Times. <laughs> well, it, well, like I And I love what you were talking about when it comes down to love because I recently got to listen... Not, well, yeah, I've listened to it as an audiobook, The Alchemist. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it's the language of the world and the soul of the world. And near the end of the book, sorry about spoilers, but <laughs> like the soul of the world is, is love. And, yeah. you know, they're talking about God and yourself and basically all of nature and that yeah. it is all one soul and it, it all f- 
flows through love and and to see that when there's i don't want to say a disorder of love in someone that that's where um that's where things go awry um it's it's so fascinating to feel like well to see that that's the root of a human being um in their description is that lack of love um and how that and like you said that how that manifests and branches out can take limitless you know can go in like limitless directions but how you know but how do you i can't say how do you i know a lot of people struggle um with the concept of loving themselves especially when it comes to forgiving themselves which i feel like is a is a very difficult thing to do because once you are in the past it's hard to come to inner peace with the past um you know how do you eat like as a leader as a you know as a worker how do you come to forgiveness of other people and yourself? Yeah, so let's talk about that because, again, you have the best questions ever. I've been on <laughs> hundreds of podcasts and you are asking the best questions ever. So well, here's the, that's well, awesome. Here's the, I, well, here's the key. I Like, you you listen, you know what I mean? Like, yes. not you listen, but me listen. Because, you know, a lot of times, like, I mean, I have this in front of me and I write down questions, but, like, I don't ask them most of the time, right? Right. They're just, I never ask the questions. It's always the flow of the conversation. Beautiful. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's really how we need to be when we're always communicating. If you really pay attention and you're in the present with the person you're communicating with, then you will get to truths. But most of the time, people aren't really genuinely listening to the person in front of them. They're in their head thinking about what they're going to say next. <laughs> exactly. So, I come across that too. It's it's rough sometimes. You know, it, is, it's, the spot. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It's very challenging. And so... Um, this is something that you're constantly working on. That's why I call it inner pieces. It's it's mm-hmm. something that you are always managing your thoughts and paying attention to what you're saying to yourself and noticing how you're feeling because your feelings are your body's feedback mechanism because your feelings can't just say, hey, you're focusing on things that are going to make you feel sick. You know, it doesn't say that. <laughs> so what it does is it just make, it fills you with anxiety and hopes that it gets your attention. Right. And so if you're so eventually what will happen is you'll feel anxious and then you'll say, all right, what would I have to be telling myself in order to feel anxious? So then the anxiety becomes a gift, not a curse. So that's a great way of thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. So now let me go back to what you had said, because I'm really paying attention to you. And so what you said from the alchemist and from the book is that it's kind of like a disorder of things when you get away from love and you are exactly right. It actually is a disorder. So there's like two emotions. There's love and there's fear. And everything else is in between. You either have love or you have fear. Everything else, anger, joy, sadness, overwhelm, ecstasy, um, suffering, they're all variations, you know, somewhere on that scale between love and fear. And so uh, true love is the absence of fear, right? Now, you can still be afraid, you know, and... uh, (laughs) And so you'll see some people who have so much love like that comes through their faith that they become fearless. They're like, if I die, I'm just gonna go see my creator faster, so whatever, right? And they just feel like they have this inner freedom because they're not bound to fear anymore. So really fear is when there is disorder. It's when thoughts, feelings, how you're holding your body, um, what's going on inside of you biochemically, hormonally, Um, All the electricity and and energies that are flowing around, all the thoughts and experiences are like in chaos. They're all going in different directions. It is like a disorder, and that disorder makes us feel afraid. It makes us feel like like there's nothing secure or safe to grab a hold of. 
And so then we get scared, we have panic attacks, we get angry, we try to distract with smoking, drinking, you know, eating, all the stuff that people do. In some way, it's about integration. It's about things coming together and fitting in place and working in harmony. So every day, you have the experience of feeling chaos and harmony. And many days in my life, I have had both. I'll be having the best day ever, and literally an hour later, I'll have the worst day ever, oh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because oh, you can yeah. go high and low. <laughs> yeah, every day I'm bipolar, right? And so I've been learning how to not get caught up in those waves mm -hmm. so that no matter what shows up, I'm like, what can I learn from this? You know, how is this going to lead to something better? Because I'm grabbing a hold of the steering wheel in my brain and kind of driving my thoughts where I want to go. And, and whereas most people feel like their thoughts are just out of their control and there's nothing they can do about them. And so it's like driving down the highway at 80 miles an hour and not grabbing the wheel and just hoping your car is going to get you where it be. That doesn't work. You got to grab a hold of the wheel and you're going to be driving it for the rest of your life. But when you do, you're going to find yourself arriving at destinations you want to arrive at. Yeah. Well, you know, like you said, it's the moment of taking control. There was a uh, girl I was talking to the other day and she was so, you know, she was so nervous and she was so scared and, you know, cause she felt like she didn't have power over like well, we were in weights class. So like lifting a bar and I mm -hmm. said, I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's okay because you're doing it and you have control over it. And if you don't catch it, I'm here. So don't worry. And she's yeah. like, okay, you know what? It's going to be okay. And you know, yeah. she lifted the weight and I was so proud of her cause it was really heavy for her. So, you know, when things come together like that, it's beautiful and it's perfect. Well, it is. Um, and remember too, you know, if she couldn't lift the weight then, if she kept trying, eventually she would because that's how you get stronger. You get stronger by lifting the heavier stuff. And then over time, you get strong enough where it's not as heavy anymore. And then you can handle even more. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't know that about ourselves because we don't trust in our power. And so you got, it's like a mental, your mind is like a muscle, you know, like anything else. Your brain is like a muscle. Your mind is more <laughs> energy, but you know, it's just the more you work it, the stronger and the better it becomes. Well, yeah. And you know, when you realize that everything becomes limitless basically, because you know, you have this idea of, you know what, if I can achieve this one goal, I can achieve these many goals that I have. And that's where I feel like you break into freedom essentially. And you know, when you're talking about, you know, your creator and having that ultimate love yeah. um, through, through the book, Oh, I love this book so much. Man's Search for Meaning. That's one of the concepts he talked about was, you know, you either became a swine or a saint in, uh, in the concentration camps. And the saints were, you know, completely, you know, devout to God. And they, and they had no fear of death. They had no fear of, you know, the terror that they were about to endure because, yeah. you know, they'll see the creator sooner. And I yeah. think that's a wonderful concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's all <laughs> how you interpret it. At the end of the day, it's all how you interpret it. Right. And so, and sometimes people will say, well, you're just making stuff up so that you feel better f with yourself. Right. Mm. And my response would be, okay. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it is keeping me moving in a good direction, you know, if I become a dreamer and I'm like, yeah, but everything's okay and it's not, and people in my life are suffering and I'm not mm. taking care of myself, you know, then that is just denial. But if I'm using my thoughts in a way to create more peace, and it's good for me, and it ends up being good for those around me, okay, cool. Yeah. Because destructive thoughts don't seem to lift anybody up. Definitely not. 
And that's one of the biggest concepts I had to grapple with and try to help others through. Mm-hmm. It was this huge concept of, well, you know what? Like, cause this is like, mo- this is most of our minds because we believe that the toughest and the most brooding characters, you know, like on, you know, on, you know, movies, you'll see these war characters, they have scars on their face. They're all beaten up. You know, they have their arms crossed and they're really tough and they talk in deep voices and, you know, they they know the world and they've seen war and, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, how'd you get through that? And it sounds like you're doing it through, you know, brutishness and through like, um, you know, like, you know, plowing through it and being pessimistic because we view those people as pessimistic, but, yeah. uh, and you'd, and you'd create that into, well, you know what, I'm just going to beat the crap out of myself until I succeed. And it never works like that. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you ever notice those warriors are never happy. I mean, no. you ever see them smile. And so you got to ask yourself, what's your <laughs> outcome? You know, so I, it's funny you say that because the other day I was uh, watching, I forget what it was now, but it was somebody and, and he was super tough. I mean, really, really strong. Mm-hmm. And I said, wouldn't it be amazing to have that kind of power? But then when you look at that person, his life was full of pain and there was no happiness and there was no joy. There was just more destruction. And it was just sad. So even though he wasn't afraid anymore, he wasn't happy anymore either. There was no fear, but no happiness either. And so I think that we kind of idolize these people that are super tough because we love the idea of not being afraid anymore because being afraid sucks. Mm -hmm. But you got to ask yourself, what's the ultimate outcome, right? And the ultimate outcome for most people is we want to feel a sense of peace and a sense of joy. And, uh, and so, by being able to uh, pay attention to the role models you have in life and ask yourself, how happy are they for real? You know, and then you can start to study, well, how do they approach life and what are they saying to themselves and how do they hold their body and what kind of books do they read, right? Kind of resources, right? You're reading some heavy books, Victor Frankel and Man's Search for Meaning and stuff like that. I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. And so, um, so being able to understand their mindsets uh, and and focus on on that is really something. Well, yeah, most of the time I think it's uh, kind of comes down to realistic optimism, you know, because mm-hmm. a while ago we were talking about, you know, you had the, the troubleshooter and the optimist, but, you know, when you blend these personalities, you have realistic, optimi- realistic optimism in which you say, oh my God, this boat is sinking. Oh my God, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. I know what to fix. Uh, or, you know, I see the situation, I'm going to be positive about it. And then we'll go, we'll go through and tackle these issues. Yes. I think that's, but you know, most of the time it's, it, it, it's hard to come to like, I, especially with, especially when it's more than one person in the boat, you know? Well, let me give you a, a tip on the language then, because certain words trigger people. So mm-hmm. let's move away from positive and negative. Okay. Or even optimist and pessimist. Because yeah. those words will trigger people. So, so instead of positive or negative, let's just talk about what's useful and unuseful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you're on the boat, just freaking out and not doing anything except complaining, that's not useful. Okay. No, no. That's yeah. not useful. If we crash in, a, in, you know, in the snow-capped mountains somewhere and everybody freezes, we're going to eat you first because you're not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And yeah. so, yeah. So, um, So if you get away from positive and negative, which are labels, because if I'm trying to be positive, that means you're being negative, right? If I'm being right, that means that you're being wrong. Nobody wants to be that way. Say they, they think that they're being practical. So let's talk about what's useful, what's productive Mm -hmm. in this situation, what's resourceful in this situation, what is the ultimate outcome? And now what steps can we do to move towards that outcome? 
See, most of the time, Ava, people are solving the wrong problems, okay? So people are trying to solve a problem like, how do I change my friends? You know, how do I get them to quit being so mean to me, right? Or how do I get them to always stop focusing on the negative? That's the wrong problem to solve, right? That's like saying, how do I get people to stop pushing my buttons? The real answer is, how do you get rid of the buttons? Because if there's no button, it doesn't matter if they do if they push, because there's no button. Exactly. Okay. So the real the real problem to solve is, or the real solution to find, okay, yeah. is how do I have a sense of peace regardless of how they behave? Mm. How do I have a sense of self confidence even when people try to be mean to me? How can I come back with so much peace and confidence in my life that I can just be nice to them? Because it's really hard for someone to be mean to you if you keep being nice to them. Eventually, they'll just go pick on someone else. Very true. Because they, yeah, they see you're not afraid, but you're not being mean back. And then it just messes with them because people are used to fighting or running away. Mm-hmm. And when you calmly go in, you know, with something different, it really, it's like a pattern interrupt. It just confuses people. So the real question isn't how do I change these people or change these situations? It's what do I need to change inside of me to create a feeling of, of peace, happiness, security, confidence, whatever it may be. Actually, this is you, this is one point where I want to pivot because it does correlate to what you just said. You know, body language and mastering, you know, body language and how you look externally is yeah. so different from how you feel internally. Because yes. I mean, I've had I've come after mistake after mistake, and I'll think I know what I'm doing, and my dad will be like, "Ava, you were oh my god." He's like, "You just looked like this, and you and you like signaled these things to people." And that was the wrong thing to do. I'm like, well, what do you mean? How do you develop external awareness of yourself? And what are some great body language, um, I guess, body language tactics one can use in order to show that that trust, that you know, I'm giving you respect uh, within others? Yes, great question. So the first thing you do is remember that your body language says way more than what your mouth is saying. Mm-hmm. And so, and even how you say things. How's it going today? Fine. Everything is awesome. Okay. (laughs) It's how you're saying it, right? That matters more than the words themselves. So when it comes to body language, the first thing you do, if you want to put someone else at ease is you get it in ease, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the way to do that is breathe through your nose. You breathe down to your bottom of your lungs, down to your belly, and then you slowly exhale. So everybody listening to this, take a slow breath in through your nose, down to your belly, slowly exhale. If you breathe that way five times in a row, it triggers the relaxation response in your brain. It starts to make you feel more calm. It will soften your energy. It will slow you down inside. Most of the time, people are mouth breathers. So they're breathing through their mouth. Even if they take five deep breaths through your mouth, that actually makes you feel more stressed. And so people are like, this isn't working. (laughs) This is right. And so it's because you're not doing it right. So you got to breathe in through your nose. But so let me give you the recipe for stress real quick or real quick. Okay. So if you want to feel really stressed, then you breathe through your mouth, you stare at the ground and you focus on every horrible thing that could happen. That will make you feel stressed. Okay. Yeah. If you want to feel calm or peaceful, then you do the opposite. You breathe in through your nose, you look forward or up slightly and you focus on the outcome that you want, Mm. not what you're afraid of, okay? So that's how you start to slow down and calm yourself down. You breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, and as you slowly start to slow down after just a minute of doing that, your shoulders will soften, and in order to breathe through your nose, we tend to um, straighten our spine up a little bit more, so we stand a little, or we sit a little taller, 
because then we're not sitting on our diaphragm, we're not sitting on our stomach. So you can breathe easier. You get that air down, that oxygen down into your lower lobes of your lungs. Okay, so now when you're standing taller and you're breathing in and out through your nose, it slows you down inside. You can't be anxious in slow motion. Okay, I mean, think, <laughs> try, try this. Go, I'm freaking out. No, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> okay, you're like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. I can't even believe this. See, the speed is what makes us feel even more freak. So exactly. slowing down with the breath, <laughs> okay? All right, good. So, so first we slow ourselves down. Then when you wanna really grab attention and create that uh, intentional rapport, rapport is just a feeling of trust and connection with two or more people. Then what you do, if you are a, um, so the first thing we do, do is slow ourselves down, then we make eye contact with the person, okay? So we're looking at them, and usually we wanna try to make eye contact as best we can, so we're kind of at the same level, right? If you ever see people that are really tall, they're almost always slunched over a little bit, and it's because <laughs> at some level they're trying to make eye contact and not be so tall. <laughs> standing over someone if uh -huh. you stand over someone if someone stands over you it can feel like threatening or intimidating right mm -hmm. and so and if you stand under them sometimes it can feel weird too and so you try to do eye to eye so if I'm taller than someone you know I might kind of move my feet a little bit farther apart or lean against a wall or sit down right and if I'm if someone's taller than me I just stand up as tall as I can you know and, and smile and yeah. and so um, but making that eye contact the other thing you can do is um, if you are a male, a man talking to a woman, then the male, what the what the guys what need to do is make sure that your shoulders are facing the female, okay? So if there's any guys or boys listening to this, you wanna make sure your shoulders are facing the person that you're talking to, the, the woman that you're talking to, okay? A lot of times people move their shoulders away, you know, or like, Kind of put their hands to the side you want to make sure your hands are out of your pocket in front of you and your shoulders are are facing them because then the female can see where your hands are and what you're doing it's like you're an open book as soon as you turn so i know they can't see us but if i angle away from you does it feel different our conversation actually yeah actually yes because it's more like you're put either you're pushing away or you're there's just something there yeah, even though I'm staring right at you, right? Yeah. We're making eye contact, but I just turned my shoulders away from you. And it's like, I'm not as interested. I'm going to go somewhere else. It's kind of yeah, like the vibe, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that weird? So yeah. plus, you don't know what my hands are doing. Okay. And so it can be a safety thing too. So <laughs> facing you squaring up and you, so my hands aren't it by, they're not behind me. They're not in my pockets. They're, you don't have to hold them up by your face, but, but you know, you just have them in kind of like, you know, you're in front of, in front of them and that makes them feel safe. Mm -hmm. Now women will often say, um, well, how should I talk to a woman? And it's usually the same way, just yeah. shoulders, you know, um, shoulder to shoulder, right? So you're kind of facing the person in front of you, you're not angling off. The women will say, how should I stand when I'm talking to a guy? Apparently it doesn't matter. You can stand any way you want when you're talking to a guy <laughs> and they'll be like, okay, <laughs> right? And so, um, <laughs> so that's another way of creating a sense of connection when you're facing somebody, when you are looking them in the eye. Now, sometimes because of a culture, cultural thing or because of low self-esteem, people won't look you in the eye. Mm -hmm. So they'll keep looking down. And then our, what we want to do is kind of look at them more in the eye, like, hey, no, look at me, right? <laughs> 
and you don't want to do that. Instead, what you what I tend to do in that situation is I will look down when I'm talking to them and then I'll catch them look at me because I'm looking down and then they look at me and then every once in a while I'll look up at them, catch them in the eye and then I'll look back down, right? And then I'll just keep doing that a couple of times until eventually I look up and they're looking at me and I just leave it that way and now we're making eye contact, right? That so there's matter. lots of things you can do non-verbally to um, help people feel safe. The, the rest of it is, is how you're saying things, the questions that you're asking them, um, really paying attention to what they have to say and what's going on inside of them instead of you telling them everything that's going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. Quick, fast ways of getting people <laughs> to like and trust you more. That is fascinating. I see, I love conversations like this and I love topics like this. They just make my brain think in so many different ways because there's so many ways to improve. There's so many things to think about and there's so many ways to experience life in different ways. But unfortunately, uh, we have to go. I could keep talking to you for hours, but, I, but you're a busy guy. Uh, where can everyone find you in your work? So you can always go to TimSure.com because that's where my book is. I wrote a book called Get Out of Your Way. And uh, all the things that I've learned after all these years of doing this for how to really train your brain to feel happy and peaceful are in that book. And so, um, so you can get that book. That's really great. Uh, and, you know, I would start there. Also, you can go to... Uh, um, look up my podcast is called how to be mesmerizing. So if you just look up mesmerizing Tim sure the podcast should should appear if not if you go to timsure.com forward slash podcast, you can join our podcast and hear you may ramble on about stuff like this all the time. Wonderful. Well, Tim, it was an honor and a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Ava. This was amazing. You're an um, incredible interviewer. So so good for you. <laughs>